Matthew chapter 11, here's what I'm going to talk to you about. I'm going to talk to you about uh, perfect peace rest. Perfect peace rest. Now, this this passage, Matthew 11, is a very well-known passage. We'll look at it. Verse 28, Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Literally, I will rest you. I will rest you. Now, while I'm talking to you, turn to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews. And as I began to say a few minutes ago, it's very difficult for me to believe that it's been almost three years since we've had a midweek study. And I intend to try to, for us to get back into the mode. I know sometimes uh, it, it, it's uh, it, very interruptive for some of your schedule. I hope you do what you can to come. Because the times, they are changing, and we need to be grounded in God's Word. Now, most people assume that the resting in Christ, which we've just read about in Matthew 11, that that resting in Christ is limited to what we would call salvation or regeneration, uh, being born again, as the language goes. But every disciple of Christ, now you understand that the word disciple means learner. So we're all disciples. We're not apostles. Every apostle was a disciple. But every disciple was not an apostle. Apostle had to have seen Christ in the flesh. And... uh, so we, are, we haven't seen him in the flesh, whom having not seen we love, but we are disciples. You can see in the word disciple, it's the root word of the word discipline. So we're under the discipline of Christ. Not discipline like getting a spanking, but discipline meaning under his order, under his direction. Okay? So every disciple of Christ, once you are a believer... You become a disciple, and you will learn in not too long of a time that there is a rest that we need that's beyond justification. Now look in Hebrews chapter 3, which has quite a bit to say about rest. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 11. I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. If you look at this chapter, you'll see that the writer is talking about the nation of Israel. He says in verse uh, 9, Your fathers tempted me and proved me and saw my works for 40 years. You know, they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years because they were disobedient. They wouldn't go in and take the land when it was ready for them. And so as a result of that, the Lord let them wander around for 40 years years, and that whole generation died. Read that in verse 10. They always do err in their hearts. They have not known my ways, so I swear in my wrath they will not enter into my rest. Now look at verse 18. Verse 18, same chapter. To whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now look at chapter 4, chapter 4 of Hebrews. 
Verse 1, let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Now look at verse 3. We which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now look at, uh, let's see, that's chapter 4, verse 1, and verse 3, verse 4. He spake in a certain place of the seventh day, like this, or on this wise, God did rest the seventh day from all of his works. Verse 5, and in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. Verse 8, if Jesus had given them rest, they would not have afterward have spoken of another day. By the way, how many of you have Jesus in your translations there? Okay, some of you do, and some of you might have Joshua. Because the person that's being spoken of here in verse 8 is Joshua who took over the leadership of Israel under Moses. I've told you before that Joshua and Jesus come from the same Hebrew word. Yehoshua or Yehoshua. Okay? Same word. You could call the Lord Jesus Joshua. And you'd be accurate. That word means Jehovah is salvation. So the Jesus here in verse 8 is Joshua. If Joshua had given them the rest that God has in mind here, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. So he's drawing this conclusion. Verse 9, there remains, therefore, a rest to the people of God. Verse 10, he that is entered into his rest, he has ceased from his own works as God did from his. He said when God made the world in six days and he rested, it doesn't mean he was tired it means he ceased creation, creating. It was all complete. Everything was perfect. There was nothing else to create. And so he ceased. He rested. Let us, verse 11, let us labor to enter into that rest. Now notice he's talking about laboring to rest. <laughs> Let's labor to enter into that rest, which means that it is very difficult this rest he's talking about is very difficult, experientially speaking, to enter into it. Uh, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. You can see all of this uh, language about rest. Now, when we say another rest, I talked about the rest of salvation, and I said there is another rest Another rest can mean another of the same kind, or it can mean another of a different kind. Jesus said in John chapter 5, and verse 40, 43, he said, I have come in my Father's name, but if another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. You wouldn't receive me, but you'll receive him. But this word alos, which is translated another, means another of a different kind. But the rest I'm talking about is not a different rest. It's a rest of the same kind. It is the essence of the rest that we receive through faith that's matured. In other words, the rest I'm talking to you about is a matured faith. The kind of 
faith that the martyrs possessed. If you ever wondered how people could face the guillotine to get their heads cut off, burned at the stake, uh, all kinds of cruel punishments, and many of them died rejoicing. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 12, in verse 11, about some people who it says they overcame the devil, they overcame the world by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. What was their testimony? Their testimony was that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ. And they loved not their lives unto the death. How did they do that? Uh, Often we read stories like that and we say, man, I don't know if I got that kind of grace. And a man said to me years ago, he said, well, are you dying? I said, no, I'm not. He said, well, you don't need dying grace. He said, you need, you need living grace. And that's what I'm talking about to you about. I'm talking about a rest that you can have that's an extension or a, a maturation, a matured rest, not a different rest, but the same kind of rest that you had when you rested in Christ when you came to him and you rested in him through faith. Now, professing Christians, notice what I'm saying. Professing Christians. There are millions of people who profess to be Christians who are not really Christians. They are professing Christians. It's not mine to make a judgment. I just simply, if people say they're Christians, I accept them on the basis of what they say. Now, obviously, if I saw a man that said he was a Christian and he went out and shot five people, I'd have, to, I'd have to have a question about whether or not I thought he was a Christian or not. But we, have, we make professions of faith. Profession, professing Christians fall in three categories. Number one, there are those who don't consistently come to class. Class is worship. They don't consistently come to worship. Number two, there are those who come to class, they come to worship, but they don't learn. And number three, why don't they learn? Well, sometimes their minds are somewhere else. Sometimes uh, they're of the nature of people who think that just being present is enough and pretty much guarantees whatever Christ has promised if you're just present. And then there's a third category, and that's those who desire a real and lasting relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. People who don't just want the blessings of the Lord, but they want the Lord himself. They don't just want for everything to go right, you know, having providential favor, but they want an intimate and personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, with their Savior. Under Moses, remember when he sent out the spies? There were two of them that said, we can take the land. We can take it. And the Bible says the reason they said we can take it is because they believed God. He told them, I've already given you the land. You go in and take it. And uh, the majority of the spies said, we went in there, and man, there are guys in there that are 10 feet tall, there are giants in there, they will slaughter us, we can't do it. Who are the two that said we can go in and take it? Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb believed God. And as I'm going to show you, that is a 
critical, a critical aspect of what I'm trying to talk to you about, this perfect peace rest. So it's not, uh, it's not a feeling, it's not just a euphoria, it's, it's something that's very, very basic and very substantial that every believer, not just specially super spiritual believers, every believer can enter into this by the sovereign grace of God. So, what would it take for you to be happy and for you to be content? Uh, many people, of course, think that if they had this or had that, they'd be happy, they'd be content in their walk with the Lord. In other words, what they're saying is Christ really is not enough. So regarding this rest in Christ, what you have or don't have doesn't matter. What you accomplish or don't accomplish doesn't matter. Paul said the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. How many of you have heard of Augustine? Many people say Augustine, okay? He was bishop of Hippo in Africa. And he made this very succinct statement. He says, thou hast made us for thyself, and we shall never find rest until we rest in thee. You've made us for yourself, and we'll never find rest until we rest in you. If we have, think that we've got to have this or have that, even experiences, I've got to have this experience or that experience, you're never going to have it until you rest exclusively and only in the Lord Jesus Christ. So whether it is the rest of salvation, believing on Christ, believing in Christ, or the rest of experiential sanctification, there can be no rest for our souls unless and until we rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this passage, and I'd learned this passage. I'd memorized this passage. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Now, the Lord is revealed in his word, to have a mind which is stayed on the Lord. One must stay in the mind of the Lord as it's revealed in the word of the Lord. The mind of the Lord is revealed in the word of the Lord. We don't know anything for sure unless we judge it by the principles in the word of God. You'll hear people on television, and they'll be arguing uh, against the very existence of God. And then, then somebody will steal something from them, and they'll say, that's not right. If there is no God, you cannot determine what is right and wrong. That's where we're headed now in this nation. We're abandoning the divine uh, revelation of God in Scripture so now each person determines for himself or herself what's right and what's wrong. You know, it's not right if you steal from me. It's all right if I steal from you. See? And so uh, if we abandon God in his word, if we abandon these principles that are in his word, 
His mind is revealed in his word. His will is revealed in his word. If you abandon that, you're not, you're not only never going to have this rest I'm trying to talk to you about, but you're going to become confused about life. But I tell you again, if you have a relationship, if, you, if your whole hope and salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ, you can have this peace regardless of your station in life. And here's what I mean by that. You might be at the top of the world or you might be at the bottom of the heap, but you can have this perfect peace. You might be in perfect health or you might be in a hospital bed, but you can have this perfect peace. You might be on a throne or you might be in a prison, but you can have this perfect peace. When Paul wrote and said rejoice, and again I say rejoice, where was he? He was in prison. He wasn't running around and say, I just bought a stock and it went up uh, to a million dollars. He was in prison when he said rejoice. And again, How could he say that? How could these people I mentioned earlier, these people who died uh, horrible deaths, and they died singing hymns to God. Many of them, the lions were let loose on them. Many of them were put in nets and dragged through the streets of Rome. Many of them were burned to death. Many of them were decapitated. How could they do that and be singing praises to God? Because they had this perfect peace rest that I'm talking to you about. Now, I'm going to borrow something from a man, and I'll tell you who he is in just a minute. I mentioned to the elders and deacons Sunday morning when we had a little meeting there in the little office, these facts. When a baby is born into this world, to begin life outside the womb, the first thing it has to do is inhale. It has to inhale. Okay? If it doesn't inhale... It can't exhale. And if it doesn't inhale and exhale, it can't live because it can't breathe. So when we are born, we inhale. I don't know if any of you have ever been next to a bed or in a room when a person died, but the last thing that a person does when they die, when they die is they exhale. I've seen them take a big breath and go... <laughs> And that's it. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word ruah, R-U-A-H, ruah is translated breath, wind, spirit. In the New Testament, the word pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, is translated breath, wind, or spirit. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? He said the wind blows where it wants to. You hear the sound of it. You can't tell where it came from. You don't know where it's going. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. That word is pneuma. When God made man, he made him from the dust of the ground. And then he says he what? He, he ruad. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. It was the breath of God that made man a living soul. So when you're born in the world, first thing you do is you have to inhale. And then when you die... You exhale. And that's what Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes. The spirit that was given returns to the God who gave it, he says. He says it that way. So, now, in much the same way, we must inhale and exhale spiritually to accomplish this rest that I'm trying to set before you in this 
study. Now, there was a guy out in Houston, Texas. He'd been dead for a number of years now, and he was a, a colonel in the military, but he also was a theologian. His name was Robert Thiem, Colonel Robert Thiem, and he was a longtime pastor of the Baraka Church in Houston, Texas. And it was from Thiem that I heard these categories. He liked to categorize everything. And so I'm going to tell you what the Bible words are that we can use in a minute for exhale and inhale. But he's the one that used those terms. At least that's when I first heard them. So spiritually speaking, what is inhaling and what is exhaling? This is important. Inhaling is taking in the Word of God. Inhaling is taking in the Word of God. Exhaling is confessing it, living it, living by it. In other words, exhaling is the action of faith. Inhaling is taking in doctrine. Doctrine, that's what the Word of God is. The Word of God is doctrine. The word is translated doctrine just means teaching. Now today, people in their ignorance in these churches, they say, we don't want any of that old doctrine. Well, you can't even open the Bible if you don't teach doctrine. That's why people are so ignorant today of the, of the Scriptures and the Word of God, because nothing is taught to them. So inhaling is taking in the Word of God. Exhaling is confessing it, living it, living by it, the action of faith, believing God. Inhaling is taking in doctrine, that is the Word of God. Exhaling is the exercise of faith. Exhaling is believing, confessing, and living through and by faith. Now the Bible says that the just shall live by what? By faith. That's in Romans chapter 1. Let me read this to you. Romans 1, 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God. That word power is the word dunamis, from which we get our word dynamite. But of course, back in the days when that was used, dynamite didn't mean blowing up something, because they didn't have any dynamite. But it means the powerful impact that the gospel has. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, in the gospel, where is the power of God to save people? It's in the gospel. Why aren't we teaching and preaching the gospel? Because we think the power of God somewhere else. We think we can improve on the gospel. So we try to change it. We say, well, we got to do this to get people in churches. we got to do this to get them down to the front. we got to do this to get a profession of faith out of them. And what we end up doing is preaching another gospel that has another Jesus that's empowered by another spirit, just like Paul tells us in Corinthians. He says there's another gospel. Paul says here, therein, that is, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, I want you to know this. The word translated just and the word translated righteous is exactly the same word. So I can say the righteous shall live by faith, or I can say the just, the justified, shall live by faith. All right. 
Now, the righteousness of God, which saves, is received by faith. And the righteousness of God, which enables us to live out this salvation, is received by faith. Now, listen to these passages. Galatians 3.11. That no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just, the righteous, shall live by faith. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11. Hebrews 10.38. The just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Hebrews 10, 38. Now this faith by which we are reconciled to God and by which we live in this world is exhaling. To exhale, you must inhale. Blow out all the air out of your lungs and then try to exhale. Well, you can't do it. You have to inhale. So exhaling and inhaling must go together. If you exhale all the oxygen in your lungs, you must inhale immediately or you will die. Again, what is it to inhale? It's to take in the Word of God. It's to learn doctrine. It is to learn the teachings of the Word of God. It's not... It can't be just my opinion about what the mind and will of God is. It has to be according to the word of God. Paul says, prove all things. Don't just accept anything some preacher or teacher tells you, but prove it in the word. You have an objective word by which it can be proved or disproved. Now, to be just or to be righteous, you must inhale. And to live a just or righteous or victorious life, you must exhale. All right, now what did the Lord Jesus say to the devil? Luke chapter 4, verse 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. By every Word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Is it any wonder why we have so many problems? We don't live according to every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. When the Lord said to the devil, you must live by every word of God and not by bread alone. When he said that to the devil, he hadn't eaten in 40 days and 40 nights. And he was hungry. The Bible says he was hungry. So the devil said, if you are the son of God, don't starve to death. Turn the stones to bread and satisfy your hunger. Now tell me this. What would have been wrong with turning the stones to bread? Well, number one, our Lord Jesus was a representative person. He represented somebody. He represented sinners. He represented his people. He represented me. Now, if I had been there, could I have turned the stones to bread after being 
uh, without food for 40 days and 40 nights. In the first place, if the Lord didn't help me, I'd already be dead. <laughs> but could I have turned the stones to bread? No, I couldn't. All I could do and all I can do today is to live according to every word of God, trusting that he will supply me all I need. Now, David said this in Psalm 37, verse 25. He said, I've been young and now am old, yet have, have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Some of you have never heard of George Mueller. George Mueller lived from 1805 to 1898. And he had a bunch of orphans. Now, get this, now. He had a bunch of orphans that he took care of, quite a large group. George Mueller never asked for one dime. He never asked for one pence. He was in England. He never asked for any kind of money. He didn't, if he had radio and he lived today, he'd be one of those people going there and try to tear your heart out. Have you seen that commercial about those poor dogs? Even a dog, they get those dogs, they're looking so sad. They end the winter time, they got chains around them. People mistreat their animals and you just feel like writing a check. And send one in right away. You feel so sorry for those dogs? Well, George Mueller never, he never begged for anything. And one morning, it was time to eat, and there were several tables full of orphans, and they had nothing. And they all came in, their tables were set, their plates were there, their utensils were there. And uh, George Mueller said, let us pray and thank the Lord for what he's going to give us this day. Didn't the Lord Jesus teach us to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me this day my my daily bread. And forgive me my debts as I forgive my debtors. And lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Give me this day my daily bread. George Mueller said, we're going to pray and thank the Lord for what he's going to give us today. This is a true story. Uh, Spurgeon died in 1892 and Mueller died in 1898. So he was, uh, Spurgeon wrote about Mueller and talked about it. As soon as they said the amen in that prayer, there was a knock at the door and Mueller went to the door and there was a man standing there who had a large milk wagon back in those days, horse-drawn carriage milk wagon, and it had broken down, and he didn't want the milk to go bad, and he wondered if the orphanage could use it. And so they they were fed that day, and for I forget how many years, I think it was over 40 years, that Mueller prayed up every meal, and everything they had for all those years, he did nothing but pray, and the Lord always supplied. Amazing. Mueller knew what it was to live by every word of God. When the Lord Jesus said, after he was hungry for 40 days, this is important. He was hungry. He hadn't eaten anything for 40 days and 40 nights. And when he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. One thing that he said for sure there is that every word of God is more necessary and more important and more vital than having food to eat. 
Everybody in this nation, we have some people who are in poverty, but the vast majority of people in this nation have plenty of food to eat. We're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. So the Word of God is more vital, more important, more necessary for you and for me than having food to eat. As I said earlier, there would have been nothing inherently evil in turning the stones to bread. But number one, the Lord Jesus refused to obey the devil, though he was hungry. He refused to use any power for himself that we don't possess. I could not have turned the stones to bread. I would have to wait on the Lord. And that's what he did because he represented us. And number three, he chose to trust the Father in heaven just as we should do. So I ask you now, I'm going to close here tonight because I said I was going to abide by the clock. Did you want to be able to have perfect peace regardless of your station in life? That is, let's say you're in the hospital bed and things are not good. I'm saying you can have the perfect peace rest when you're in the hospital and you're very, very sick. I'm saying you can be in prison, being put there as a Christian for trying to do the right thing. You can have the perfect peace rest regardless of your station in life. If you want that, and I'm going to leave you with these thoughts tonight, you must be constantly inhaling the Word of God night and day just as you inhale oxygen. When you arise in the morning and go to the office, you're not to leave the Word of God at home. Our business is to be conducted according to the teachings and the principles of the Word of God. We are to conduct our lives according to the Word of God. We are to guide our children according to the Word of God, not the Word of the psychologist or the popular norms of society, but according to the Word of God. Now, next time, we're going to take it up right here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'll tell you where we'll be if you want to read these verses. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 through 9. The words which I command you this day shall be in thine heart. Uh, thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them for a signpost in thine hand. There shall be a frontlet between thine eyes. Thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. We'll start there. I have the most interesting things that I wanted to say to you uh, are coming, so I'll share those with you next week. Does anybody have any questions about anything I've said tonight? Any questions? Any comments? You want to make a comment? Fine. You understand what I mean by inhaling and exhaling? And I'm going to give you uh, the Bible terms for inhaling and, and exhaling, too. We're passing around two we're praying for you cards on the front.